Well, we're in, uh, we're in the book of Acts this, uh, this term, and um, we've got to the end of chapter 4, so we'll be, we'll be starting from uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 32. Uh, the heading is, The Believers Share Their Possessions. And uh, then there's a bit about Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. We, we've, we've spoken about them before, and, um, but we'll have a little video clip uh, when we get to Ananias and Sapphira, um, ju- just to... Uh, 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 make, make that a little bit lighter because it's a bit of a, a heavy part of the story. And then uh, we're going to look in chapter 5 at the apostles healing lots of people and then there's a bit about persecution. So uh, we're, we're going to gallop through fairly quickly but uh, let's just pray as we start. Father, would you help us as we look at the Word of God together? Uh, please would you, uh, would you help us to open this and to uh, help us to understand, to uh, to, to receive the scripture and for it to feed us and nourish us today and enlarge our understanding. Help us uh, as we seek to bring the gospel to others around us too. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start in uh, Acts chapter 4 and uh, verse 32. And um, uh, this is uh, uh, just a follow on really from where Jamie was last week. And it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Well, there's a wonderful uh, expression here of the family, the church family, the early church family, working together for blessing. And uh, wonderful things happen here. Uh, People are getting healed, people are are getting fed, they're being provided for. My day job uh, involves working with the Church of England, and uh, I can tell you that these things don't always happen. This is not always a reflection of the life of the church. So I'm involved in a situation uh, in a little market town not far from here, where uh, the congregation have fallen out with the vicar. A lot of them have fallen out with the vicar. Some of them love her and think she's great. Others think uh, that they would like her to go and to be replaced. And there's a real division there. It's heartbreaking. It's gone on for about four years. I'm also involved in uh, another matter over at Oxford where the, uh, the dean of uh, the college known as Christ, Christ Church, where the, where the cathedral is, uh, has fallen out with the governing body at Christ Church and that's spilled over into a little dispute with, uh, between him and uh, some of his church colleagues. And it's really painful when these things happen. And when there's division in the church, I think it's heartbreaking to God too when these things happen. But here in this, in this beautiful picture uh, in the New Testament here, uh, we can see uh, the, the church community being described as one in heart and mind. If you think back to uh, the Psalms, there's that little Psalm 133 uh, where God says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. 
And then it's a slightly odd picture for us. It says, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. I think, oh, that's a bit odd, that, that picture. But for God, it meant blessing. Uh, his Holy Spirit poured out. That, that picture of oil poured out is like the Holy Spirit poured out for us. And uh, that's what it speaks of. And so there in the Psalms, there's this picture of blessing, this little uh, analogy. And uh, this, this, we'll see in a moment, that this blessing that God was pouring out on uh, the church family, the early church family, couldn't be contained but it says much grace was upon them all. In, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, uh, megali charis, charis, grace. That's what uh, the word means in, in Greek. And great grace, enormous grace was upon them. And they were working with great power too. Isn't this something that we long for uh, in our midst, to uh, be working with, with great power, seeing people healed. Thank you so much for those who came up with little testimonies just now of healing. Uh, there'll be others too, I'm sure, in this next season. I believe God wants to move with this great power amongst us and amongst other churches all, all around the globe, really. He wants his church to be evidencing the power of God, but he also wants it to be evidencing great grace. And that grace uh, is uh, what makes the church attractive in a way, because people are being kind to each other. Uh, they're not squabbling. Instead of being uh, all, all scratchy with each other, they're looking for ways to provide for one another. And out of that comes uh, great power. This grace is, is concrete evidence of God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve the favor of God. We don't deserve that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again to give us a hope of life. But that's God's grace. And that works out in a very practical way. We receive that beautiful generosity of the gift of Jesus' life for our sin uh, at the cross. And out of that uh, receipt of generosity, we're able to be generous to others and uh, to look after and to bless others. And the church family here in Acts in Jerusalem, they were attractive to one another and to those outside. They weren't repelled by each other. And that sense of attraction spilled over into the community around them. People could see, this is a great, this is a great group to join. This is a great group of folks to be with because uh, people get healed, people get provided for, uh, people are loved here. And uh, this, is what, uh, this is what church should be like. And there's immediate practical blessing in the sense that people are provided for. Uh, there's, this is a kind of first century leveling up, isn't it? We hear this uh, talked about that those uh, in, in the south of our country are better off than those in the north. And uh, this is a very practical, intimate leveling up amongst this community in Jerusalem where everybody is treated in the same way. And we're introduced here to, to Barnabas. He's, he's, his name is Joseph, but the apostles call him Barnabas, and uh, it means son of encouragement. And I, I just wonder why he's kind of singled out, because it says people were selling property and uh, uh, were um, uh, giving the sale proceeds to the apostles so that nobody would be in need. But there's this one guy, Barnabas, who's mentioned here. He, he gets a specific mention. And I just wonder whether he was maybe the first... Uh, to sell his field and kind of uh, give an example to the others. I don't know. Uh, may maybe uh, others had done it first and then he encouraged some others by, by deciding, well, I will sell my field and give the money to the apostles so that uh, needs can be met. 
So he's, uh, he, he's, he's a, an example to us, a specific example. Later on, uh, we hear about him going off on missionary journeys with Paul and, uh, and others, and uh, he, he takes the gospel around the Middle East. And, uh, but here he is. He's just at the start of his journey with Jesus, and he's been provoked to this act of generosity, to sell this field that he had and, uh, uh, and, to, and to give the money to the apostles. And this unity is, is really precious. Later on, Paul writes to the Romans saying, you know, this is a precious thing in chapter 15. Uh, he writes to the Galatians and the Ephesians. It's a, it's a thing that he, uh, he picks up on uh, in, uh, uh, in the epistles. So uh, it's, really, it's really precious. Now, I just wanted to spend a brief moment on Ananias and Sapphira because uh, they, they uh, sell a, a bit of property that they have and they don't give all the money to the apostles, and they, uh, they come and tell the apostles uh, uh, that, they, um, uh, that they've, they've received this much for the land. In fact, they'd received more, and they'd kept back some of the money. And we know the story uh, that they, they, uh, Ananias comes back first, and uh, he tells Peter this, this uh, untruth, and uh, Peter speaks words of judgment over him, and the man dies. And uh, then Sapphira, the wife, comes, and as they're carrying out... Uh, they've carried out Ananias' body. Sapphira comes in. Uh, she repeats the lie, and she also dies. And this, this creates real fear. So I was thinking about this, and I, I, I just a little video clip I thought might, uh, might uh, illustrate this for us. And Lynn, Lynn will just go and turn the lights off. The, the lights are just outside on the right-hand side on, on the wall. And um, it's from, it's from a, a film, Indiana, Indiana Jones and the, the Last Crusade. My favorite film, I think. I mean, there's somebody called Jones in it, so it's got to be great, hasn't it? <laughs> and uh, uh, we'll, if we can play the clip, that would be great. Thank you. Germany behind us, then I'll share that sentiment. Relax.
Thank you. No ticket. Great line. Everybody waves their ticket. Look, I've got a ticket. Ananias and Sapphira were not evidencing the grace that God had provoked in the rest of the community. And they suffered an exit from that community. They, they were not evidencing the grace that God had given freely. They didn't have to buy tickets. They didn't have to buy grace to uh, be a part of the church family there. But uh, they, they, this, these two did not have it. They, they, they'd not allowed God to work in their hearts to provoke grace for them. So next time we think about Ananias and Sapphira, maybe we'll just think about that. God's given us grace wonderfully. And this, this grace works amongst the church community in a really powerful way because it's uncontainable. Let's look now at uh, chapter 5, verse, verses 12 to 20. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So there's something really powerful going on here. And it's not something you could, you could just keep quiet in a room. You remember when uh, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the disciples were gathered together, but uh, suddenly a crowd gathers when they hear the noise. There's something really powerful about what God's doing here, and it's not containable. It can't be, it can't be corralled and kept hidden in a school hall. This is more powerful than that. And... I think God wants us to understand this. It's not something just for this hall on a Sunday. The, the power of God at work in us, this grace that is upon us, this wonderful power that sees people healed of small things and large things, that power can't be contained, in a, can't be bottled up in this room for Sunday mornings. It's, it's something which is going to be contagious. It's going to spill over. It's going to bless others. It's going to bless our neighbors. It's going to... Uh, reach our work colleagues it's going to reach communities around us people at the school gate this is this is going to overflow and here is a model for this uh, right here at the beginning so many people are being healed now there isn't room for individual stories you remember we had that story a few few weeks ago of the beggar being healed as peter and john were going up on their way to uh, the temple to pray but now everybody's getting healed. It says all the people who are brought to uh, the apostles were healed. And there's a beautiful echo here. You remember uh, Luke is writing uh, the Acts of the Apostles. He's writing this down for us. In his gospel, there are places where it says people came to Jesus, all were healed. And power was coming from him. For example, Luke chapter 6, verse 19. And it's like that here. Everybody who comes to the apostles, they bring their, uh, themselves or they bring their friends or their relatives to be healed, and they're all healed, it says, at the end of this little uh, passage in uh, verse 20. Nobody goes away disappointed. They're all healed. This is a, a beautiful testimony to the power of God. 
And these people are coming not just from the next street or the next suburb in Jerusalem, they're bringing them in from uh, the towns and villages around Jerusalem. So the news is beginning to spread. And this is before uh, the persecution breaks out in, in, a, in a big way following uh, the death of Stephen. We'll see that in a week or two. Uh, and suddenly the church is scattered and the gospel is forcibly ejected into uh, the wider Middle East. But here it's beginning to uh, break out already. Uh, it's not containable uh, within Jerusalem. And uh, just, just a note here uh, in passing, and this calls for discernment as we pray, um, that Luke makes a distinction. He's a doctor, don't forget. He makes a distinction between those who are sick and those who have uh, a sort of unclean spirit. I'll just touch on that as we go by here, uh, that uh, sometimes uh, there may be occasions where we want to discern that. And a gift of the discerning of spirits is, is, is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we perhaps neglect that a bit. We, we pray for the gift of healing, but sometimes, just occasionally, there may be an impure spirit that, uh, that we need to speak to uh, when, we're, when we're praying for somebody to be well. And uh, remember Jesus said, uh, as, a, as a boy uh, who, who the disciples weren't able to heal, Jesus said, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. So uh, let, let's be giving ourselves to prayer. We've just had a week of prayer. Uh, but maybe fasting too as we think about how we can serve one another well in this uh, and, and be, be uh, hearing from God. And lastly, from this little bit here, uh, all the believers were gathered daily at Solomon's Colonnade. That's the place where uh, the, the um, uh, beggar was healed. And uh, the, the, they, they were gathering there daily. There was something uh, about the church. They, they, set, they, didn't, they didn't want to, to miss anything that's going on. We've had seasons like this in our history where God's really been moving amongst us and we've not wanted to miss what God's doing and, and we've had daily uh, meetings, worship, to pray, uh, to praise God, to see what God would do and uh, I, I believe God's got that again for us uh, in this next season. So uh, maybe you know, we need to clear our diaries a little bit and make some space uh, so that we can be attentive to what God, God's doing, so that we can gather together. And let's let's prioritise our life group meetings during the week and uh, give time to one another to be together so that we can uh, take hold of what God's doing. And then lastly, um, uh, from verses 18 onwards, we see um, uh, some persecution beginning again. Uh, th th there's already been uh, a bit of questioning of what they, what they were doing when... Uh, the beggar was healed, and we saw that last week. And uh, now there's a bit more persecution. So uh, starting from verse 17, it says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said. Tell the people all about this new life. So at daybreak... <laughs> didn't waste any time, they entered the temple courts as they'd been told and began to teach the people. Now the high priest and his colleagues uh, calling together the Sanhedrin, um, they, they, they sent them off to jail. And um, he's a Sadducee. Now they, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. You remember in, in the Gospels we hear the Pharisees did believe in the, in the possibility of resurrection. 
uh, for, for all their faults, they were a bit legalistic, uh, but they did believe that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Sadducees did not believe that, and the high priest at the moment is a Sadducee. And um, so they're bitterly opposed to this teaching of the apostles, which is all about Jesus, who has died and who has been raised to life again. That is central to the gospel message and to our hope that Jesus was raised from the dead, that there is a resurrection from the dead. So the apostles, they're thrown into jail. And um, then they're miraculously delivered by uh, an angel. The doors are left locked. Uh, the guards aren't disturbed. But somehow the apostles are, are wafted past all the security. And they find themselves outside. And um, they, they, uh, uh, this happens again, of course, in Acts 12. Uh, and later on, Paul is released from prison. He's in prison with Silas. So this becomes a bit of a feature. There's a real liberation about the gospel. Whatever, whatever men might do to us, uh, Jesus is able to release us and uh, to set us free. So here, uh, uh, they're released from prison. And um, uh, the angel has, has, uh, an angel from God has come and, and, and done this for them. This is the first mention here, perhaps, of angels in, in Acts. An angel, uh, the word comes from uh, the Greek word, angelos, meaning a messenger or a herald. So uh, if you wanted to send a message by courier, you would send uh, an angelos. And uh, so God has angels. They're ministering spirits sent to serve those uh, who are inheriting salvation. That's us folks. And so God has at his disposal uh, angels who will do his bidding, who will come and help us. Anybody ever met an angel? I don't know. Have we? We don't know. Maybe we haven't recognized them. Uh, we, uh, when we were early on in our married life, um, uh, we drove to, um, to London from Plymouth and uh, we ran out of petrol. We couldn't fill the petrol cap up because we didn't have a key for the petrol cap. And uh, <laughs> there was some difficulty. And um, so we, we ran out of petrol on the M4, not far from London. And this chap stopped and uh, took us to... Um, to the ne nearest service station, got some petrol, drove us back, and then just disappeared, really. And uh, just, I don't know, maybe that was uh, uh, an angel who came to help us. Um, I'm grateful still, never knew his name, uh, but um, uh, who knows? But God has got means of helping us which go beyond our imagination sometimes and go beyond our experience day to day. If we're stuck... God's not stuck. He's got means to assist us. He can send help, very practical help. <laughs> it, it, it's just amazing to think about this. Uh, Jesus said, you think if I don't ask, my father wouldn't send 12 legions of angels to help me. When Jesus is in the desert, he's been fasting. God sends angels to minister to him at the end of the 40-day period. Angels come and announce the birth of Jesus, don't they? So uh, there's, there's, there are appearances of angels in the scripture. And uh, uh, we can look for God's help uh, in these things. But more importantly in this passage, the apostles aren't put off preaching the good news. The angel tells them to go and preach in the temple court. So they go back there and they don't hang about. You know, they, they've been released. They're in prison overnight. Uh, they've been released in the, in the small hours. At daybreak, they're back and... Uh, 
this is uh, you know, in the summertime. It's not long after uh, the Passover, so it's that time of year, sort of May, May, June time. So it gets light early. They're, they're there in the temple courts. They're, they're ready to be obedient to what God has asked them to do through the angel. Now, if you remember last week, Jamie reminded us about the importance of obedience to God. And here it is again. When God says something twice in the scriptures, he's kind of underlining it and just saying, look, this is important. There's, there's, there's a reminder here of what I said last week. And so it's, it's, it's really key for us to pay attention to this. When God asks us to do something or says to us, don't do that, it's important to be obedient to him. And when we are, a blessing flows. When, when he tells us to be obedient, uh, uh, we, 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 we have a choice. We can do as he asks or not. Jesus was without sin. He was always obedient to his Father. He only spoke the words that he heard his Father speaking. He only did the things he saw his Father doing. He was wholly and completely obedient to his Father. And that's for us. And I know that's challenging, and we don't always get it right. We're, we're not... Uh, without sin in that sense we do, we do make mistakes sometimes we do think no I'd rather do this instead but this is important folks God's reminding us he's underlining it because it's here a second time and uh, when challenged about this uh, uh, the, the, the high priest says we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood well that's a bit rich isn't it they, they shouting just a few weeks before they were shouting for Jesus to be crucified they are guilty. We're all guilty of uh, Jesus, but we all share in that guilt because uh, he died there for our sin. But wonderfully, we're forgiven. And Peter says, well, I know what you said, but we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. He kind of pokes that right back at the Sadducees. <laughs> There's a resurrection. Did you not notice? Whom you killed, this Jesus, by hanging him on a cross, there's no escaping the truth of that. Peter is blunt and confrontational. He's bold in this. He's not the uh, frightened fisherman that he'd been just a few weeks before, before Jesus' crucifixion. He's been transformed by the Holy Spirit and by what's happened, Jesus' resurrection. He says, God exalted him, this Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter and uh, his colleagues, his fellow apostles, they're very clear about who killed Jesus, but they're also very clear that Jesus rose again from the dead and that their duty of obedience to God overrides what they're being told by people uh, who have got no, uh, no mandate to, to uh, ask them to do anything else. So what's the result of all this? We see great blessing. Uh, we see people being healed, people being provided for. Uh, some people get blessed. Others get annoyed. The Sanhedrin gets annoyed. They're provoked by the preaching of the gospel. But the lasting significance of all this is that people were hearing the gospel. They were responding to it. They were being saved. And, of course, they were blessed uh, just for a day or a week or two with a meal or with provision. They were healed, but eventually all those folks will have gone to glory. So 
Those things uh, were not lasting blessings, but their salvation is eternal and is of lasting, enduring significance. So what's going on here uh, in this community where uh, there's unity, where there's grace, where there's obedience is something of eternal significance. We're, we're not uh, looking for a, a quick win here. We're looking for a win which has eternal significance as people are saved and added to the kingdom of God. It says all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them. Well, this is, this is, <laughs> this is a, uh, a bit odd, isn't it? But uh, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There's, uh, there's, there's, there's something going on here, people being saved. Jesus, who died on the cross, is being exalted now. He was raised to life. That's the gospel message that the apostles were preaching. They were saying, oh, Jesus, we... we walked with him, we saw him die, we saw him do beautiful miracles, we saw him die, then he was raised to life again three days later. That's what he uh, promised us would happen, and that, that's what actually did happen. We, we can testify to this, and we know this to be true ourselves now. Uh, we have this experience in our own lives too. This lasting testimony and provocation continues to provoke us now. So let's meet together, let's continue to do that. Let's do that on Sundays, let's do it on uh, life group evenings, let's do it at other times, pray together, uh, let's meet to share the gospel with other folks together, uh, knowing that what we're about is something of eternal significance, but there's real blessing in it as we do it. There's, uh, there's a beautiful uh, sense of uh, God breaking out, his kingdom coming as we do these things. Ed, I wonder if you'd uh, come up and... Uh, help us again. One of the, the, the marks of this season in the church's life is this beautiful unity. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. There was a real uh, sense of communion amongst them. And uh, let, let's, I would like us to break bread together now just to uh, acknowledge that community amongst us here, that we are one in heart and mind in wanting to worship Jesus. And of course, we have other priorities in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, there are other things that are important to us that uh, are significant in our own lives, other priorities. But this must be the overriding priority that Jesus died for us and rose again. That's the priority that will count on Judgment Day when Jesus returns and we're asked to give an account of what was our life about. Well, uh, our life expresses uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the hope that we have in him. So let's, uh, uh, Ed, as you, perhaps you could just play for us gently, that would be, that would be nice. We'll, we'll break bread together. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the death and the resurrection and that day when Jesus will return again. So as we do this together, we're doing something which expresses the unity that he's, he's called us to. 
that we're all of one heart and mind in this matter, that we want to see Jesus uh, exalted in the community. We want to see the power of God breaking out amongst us. We want to be a, a people who are obedient to him and say yes, Lord, when he asks us to do something. Thank you, Father. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this beautiful season in the church's life, the early church's life, such rich truths emerging here. Lord, I pray that as we share this uh, bread and this, this cup together in remembrance of Jesus, you'd somehow make us even more clearly, even more meaningfully, one in heart and mind over these matters, that we want to see the kingdom of God come in this community, in the lives of those that we encounter day to day. Father, help us, we pray, that Jesus might be glorified in all that we do. Amen.